Hello and welcome to Wibbly Wobbly Dicey Wicey, where we deliberate, observe and consider the Doctor Who role-playing games past, present and future. And with me on this episode, we are lucky enough to have Michael Nixon, the co-writer and engineer of the Game of Rassilon Doctor Who role-playing game podcast. Hello, Michael. Hello, Ryan. Thanks for having me. So before we start, can I just ask, are you any relation? No, no. It was a curse of my elementary, middle school, high school, college, continued life. Actually, up until the most recent presidential election, depending on when this episode comes out. It was, it, was, it was a real albatross around the neck. So you were teased quite a lot for being named after the Archangel then? Oh, yeah, no. Not even a little bit of that, no. <laughs> so well done for doing that with a straight face, because I giggled there. and I deflected your, your jokes like a Wonder Woman. I've, I've become an, an expert, some might say. So don't cross the streams, otherwise everyone will get confused. <laughs> This isn't the Game of Amazons podcast. Everything's a crossover. The, the, you know, even this episode. Look at it. Even this episode. We've now got a third third element to our crossover. We'll be discussing the effects of uh, the island of Themyscira on Time Lord Society later on. So stay tuned for that. But for now, we're going to be talking about uh, your podcast, The Game of Rassilon, which, uh, unlike this podcast, which talks about the rules and uh, how to run the Doctor Who role-playing game, yours is an actual play podcast. Yeah, in the style of, uh, you know, actual play podcasts like The Adventure Zone, Dungeons and Daddies, uh, Friends at the Table, that sort of thing. But, you know, those those pods generally play Dungeons and Dragons, uh, which is a... Everybody pretty much knows what that is, I, I would imagine. But the, the convenience for people making podcasts and actual play podcasts specifically is that it's an open source system. So you're allowed to do that. Uh, for us, we're kind of strictly in the fan realm, not just because we are doing a Doctor Who show, which, I mean, there you go. Uh, but also we're playing specifically the Doctor Who game from Cubicle 7. Um, and while they've been nice enough to... to you know, talk back and forth with us email-wise. They they acknowledge we exist. Uh, you know, it's not like we have their permission to do it. Uh, so there is this sort of crowbar separation where even though we are generating original stories and original character stuff, it's still the Doctor and her friends. So we're not, you know, it'd be very different if the Adventure Zone was about, like, Driz DeWord and, and the Greyhaven stuff, like, specifically. Well, you mentioned there... Dungeons and Dragons, which is uh, perhaps the uh, public-facing origin of role-playing games. It's the biggie. It's the big one. And and as you know, on this podcast, first-time guests and co-hosts must answer our three questions uh, above, between, below. Uh, How did you discover Doctor Who? How did you discover RPGs? And how did you discover the Doctor Who RPG? This is actually not an intentional circle back, but going back to my uh, career of being teased in high school, I was in an art class, who would have guessed, and uh, one of the other kids sort of offhandedly said to me, you're the kind of nerd who would like Doctor Who. It was the first time I'd ever really heard of it. I hadn't really been, been made aware of the show, but it stuck the name in my head. So, you know, a week or two later, I was going through the TV guide late at night, and this was... I this was just before a couple months before the new series was announced. So there 
were still PBS stations, public broadcasting system uh, stations in the U.S. that were airing classic Doctor Who. So I saw Doctor Who on the TV guide, and I was like, I mean, maybe I am the kind of nerd who likes Doctor Who. Let's find out. So I, I, you know, clicked OK on the, the TV thing, which is, you know, the remote, and was treated to the very moments at the beginning of Castro Valva where Tom Baker turns into a gray-faced alien and then into a very surprised Peter Davison. So I was always convinced that, like, the Doctor's people looked like the Watcher for, like, the first however long I was watching Doctor Who, and that was, like, their native state. So I also had that kind of weird misunderstanding going in. But it turned out, yeah, I was exactly the kind of nerd who liked Doctor Who. And I started with the... I started at probably its low, the beginning of its lowest point. <laughs> Watched through all of it. And then the PBS station circled back around to Hartnell after McCoy. Like, actually, because they would just air four episodes a night, no matter how many parts the serials were... Um, I think literally it was like the end of survival and then the first episode of An Unearthly Child, like on one night. So you came in on a regeneration episode. You came in on the fifth Doctor's first episode and watched it through to the end of the season. Yeah, yeah, and then just circled back around Hartnell. And by then, you know, I knew what the show was, so I had grabbed, you know, the DVDs, a bunch of Tom Baker's and um, Peter Davison's because he was really my first Doctor going in, which is kind of weird. So do you consider the fifth Doctor to be your Doctor? No, I actually consider the eighth doctor initially. I mean, right now the the twelfth doctor is my doctor because, you know, we both have chronic depression. Uh, but <laughs> I, I see myself represented on the screen. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, the the eighth doctor was always my doctor because there were all those books and audios, and I could make the eighth doctor look like whatever I wanted. Like the eighth doctor was a theater of the mind doctor for, well, I mean, still is really. I feel I should interject and just say that he did have a face. Yeah, but he had a great face. And he was played by a terrific actor. And, you know, in my head, the wig was better and, you know, the outfits were, would change and weren't just a wild Bill Hickok outfit over and over again. Yeah. Um, or just that same two photos from night of the doctor, uh, as seemed to be the current case. So, so you came in, your first episode was Castrovalva, which was, which was the fourth turning into the fifth. You watched it through to the seventh, but you considered the eighth to be your doctor alongside the twelfth. That is very wibbly-wobbly, uh, timey-wimey, so I, I, I doff my cap to you just on that bizarre conglomeration of doctors that are your doctor. Most people just say the doctor that they first started watching it with, but you've picked, like, three now, going through five. Well, it's changed over time, as I've I've seen uh, uh, new doctors. I mean, back when the eighth doctor was my doctor, the twelfth doctor didn't exist yet, except for Curse of the Fatal Death, and I prefer Joanna Lumley in that hmm. one. I uh, see. Now, in, in, in this country, on this side of the Atlantic, when we say, who is your doctor, we don't mean who is your favourite doctor, we mean who is the doctor you first came to. That's kind of the doctor you have, because it's such an institution in this country. Usually when you're a kid, we say, that's your doctor. Might not be your favourite, but that's your doctor. Yeah, then maybe I'm the only person whose doctor is... What is his name? Adrian Gibbs? The guy who played The Watcher? (laughs) That's like right where I jumped in. (laughs) That's certainly a unique answer, yeah. Right, so so you came to Doctor Who because someone thought they were insulting you, but actually gave you a clue to something you would end up loving. Well, they were fully insulting me. They were just correct 
for once. What are you gonna do? It's it's the one uh, it's the one case in my you know career of high school bullying where I can say, yeah, one out of a hundred. That guy nailed it. And so, following on from that, did somebody similarly insult you and say you look like the kind of uh, nerd who would like RPGs, and thus you thought? What's an RPG, or how how did you come to discover tabletop role playing? Uh, no, and actually that was a near miss. I in high school I was like I I am not nerdy enough to play a game, though it was presented to me. A, a friend of mine was trying to put together a I don't know what it would have been a four point five e a four e game at the time, but it wasn't until years later uh, when I was living in uh, Brooklyn after going to to college uh, I saw a a live show of Harmontown, which was the, the podcast that Dan Harmon and, you know, his sort of coterie of, of cool people record. I love that show. I highly recommend it to any listeners to this podcast. Basically, they get Dan Harmon, who wrote Community, um, and Rick and Morty, and his friends, and they are and they get they have a guest celebrity role player, and they describe what they're doing like a normal D&D role-playing game, but it, they animate it, and it's hilarious. Highly recommended. I think it's been cancelled now, but you can find it online the first two seasons anyway, three seasons. Yeah, it's very fun. I mean, this was before there was the, the cartoon. Um, it was... I think it was after he'd... I mean, it was obviously after he'd left Community, because that was when the, the podcast really got big. Um, but yeah, I met a bunch of people with my roommate. My roommate and I went to go see the show, and we met some people there who actually lived in the neighborhood, and we were like, "Hey, why don't you know the D and D stuff in this was really fun? Why don't we give it a try?" Uh, and I believe that was a four point five E game. So just everybody kept dying on traps and tripping over stuff and exploding because um, four point five is I don't know anybody who not even D and D fans like to talk about the fourth edition. Yeah, it was it's a real mess. Um, so it didn't. But the thing is, I, it was it was about the people. I mean, for for me, gaming it's always really been about having time to hang out with your friends. So we just kept doing it, and my character <laughs> kept regenerating into different characters. We made it a joke. Um, I would just change my last name and completely redo the sheet to whatever we needed, and then promptly trip over I don't know, like a saw blade that came out of a tree, and my whole body would explode. Um, it's how it always goes. I don't know. You'd get to zero HP, and then you'd fail the roll, and then you'd just melt. Um, maybe I, I had a maybe I had a bad GM. I don't know. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I don't want to say that. No, you definitely had a bad system. Um, I mean, but that's a classic RPG origin. D and D seems to be the first game that most people come to because my first one was DC Heroes starring your alter ego Wonder Woman so so that's how you came to role playing so how did you discover the Doctor Who role playing game I discovered it through Ben actually they were doing the live show of the game of Rastlons or the early version of it back at geez years ago at Gallifrey 1 the uh, LA Doctor Who convention and so I saw that and the next year saw it again and I'd become friends with Ben and said to them, like, we should do a podcast of this. Like, this is, there's no reason to, to limit this to, like, once or twice a year at these Doctor Who conventions. Like, you could be doing this more often. There's a great energy, and however we can figure that out, we should, like, do a pod. Um, and that led to, like, Ben and I talking for pretty much a whole night about how we would write Doctor Who, which is very it's a very easy conversation to get into once you get started. Um, but being someone with like 
actual writing experience. I sort of have the, or at least, I don't know, I went to school for it. Experience, not so much. Um, <laughs> but, but knowing sort of the structure of the thing, uh, I, you know, I came away with it with like an actual sort of arc, an idea. Uh, and I think we had the steps of like, oh, here's how we would do it. And then it even got to the point where Ben and I were sort of pitching specific abstract episode ideas and then down to the point where in that first conversation we'd figured out kind of the end of the season two finale the big kind of exodus of the time lords was sort of where we were always going we wanted to to i wanted i mean i was more obsessed with like the schism in Time Lord society between the Time Lords and the Sisterhood of Karn, which is this thing that's just like not really answered in the show. Um, because I think most of the time Gallifrey is seen as like precious to people coming in to work on the show, but that doesn't make any sense to me because they're the like custodians of the show. There's nobody, there's nobody like more apt to do like actually do something with Gallifrey other than just have it, sitting there as like a like a jewel in the corner that you can't touch um and then you know spoilers for anyone who, who's listening to the game of russell podcast now then well i mean i hope uh, yeah sorry I, I mean i hope people do come to the game and enjoy the game because i i that arc isn't really resolved until the end of season two but it is a thing that flows through the whole uh show up to that point and coming up in the the doctor who day special we're releasing in november sort of ends that what we've been calling kind of the Mobius loop of, of those two seasons, the sort of big overarching plot line. And we wanted to get it all resolved in season two, because I know that dwelling in all the time Lord stuff can be annoying after a while. So I, I, I would rather than spoiling, hopefully I have enticed people to a two season tale that has a doctor who, actually turn around from running and stand against her home further to that enticement tell us what the premise is of the game of Rassilon you know the game you're running and and what's the basic framework of it basically uh, Ben and I co-write the game scenarios Uh, Ben is the GM I during the recordings and the engineer which means I take notes on you know, coughs and bumps and squeaks and planes flying overhead, which happens to all of us because uh, we live in Los Angeles. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we take those scenarios to our cast, which is uh, sort of our own doctor who we have made clear is like a further future doctor. I see this doctor initially before all the timeless child stuff. I saw this doctor's like several cycles of regenerations ahead and sort of indefinite deep future doctor. And this doctor is on the run from her people, the Time Lords, but she doesn't know why. She woke up in her TARDIS with a post-it note pinned to her chest that said, run. And so she's been evading her people ever since uh, in a TARDIS that she had to repair and cobble back together with technology from the 1990s. So there's a very kind of retro, nostalgic 90s aesthetic, which then gets reinforced when the TARDIS lands in a, a space museum that has refugees from time trapped in it as living exhibits, including Amelia Earhart and Travis Killian, uh, a librarian from 1998, who is also a gamer and has a, his own uh, Game Boy Pocket. He's uh, big into Pokemon. He's great. Travis rules. 
And so over the course of two seasons, the Doctor and her companions have been evading the Time Lords, getting into all kinds of mad adventures together, uh, bumping into her old friend Roman, who I also play in the show, who is a future incarnation of Romana, and also a boy, uh, which he hates, is not a big fan. The shoes don't fit anymore, the, the beard maintenance, dreadful. Uh, anyway, um... A boy with a beard? A boy with a beard, you say? Yes. And I do a dreadful Matt Berry impression. Uh, it's It was very fun. Uh, by the end of the second season, I, I have... Uh, Roman has left me, as Capaldi said, when uh, uh, he stopped being the doctor, the doctor left him. Um... Yeah, so, uh, you know, I get, I've get i done my complete arc as Roman now, which is very cool, and also a little sad. Uh, uh, but yeah, the Doctor and her companions are, you know, getting into scrapes, doing stuff, and then between seasons, the Doctor was captured by the Time Lords, uh, Millie was returned, uh, Amelia Earhart, uh, called Millie in the first season, was returned to uh, her death in time, and um, the Doctor and Travis had to continue on without her. And over the course of that, they've also picked up a new companion, uh, played by... Oh, I should mention human people's names. What am I doing? Um, our incredible doctor is Riley Silverman, who's, like, an incomparable talent. She's... By the end of our first... By the end of our two seasons, by no... This is no ego on my part saying this. I want to be clear. If by the end of our two, like, two seasons that we have out there, Riley Silverman isn't one of your favorite doctors you may need to listen again. She's, she's very good and she's doing it on the fly. She's just incredible. Like she's a truly, she's a truly remarkable doctor and she's really good at it. And we're very lucky to have her. Um, her companions, uh, include, uh, Dan Peck who plays Travis Killian. And, uh, the, um, new companion coming in this season is Carrie Vu played by Kate Lay, who is just, she's terrific. She's a, um, Kate has never really watched Dr. Who. She's a friend of Ben's who's very into role-playing and, and has done podcasts before. And what's amazing about Kate is, like, coming up... Well, we've actually revealed the title, so it's not... We've revealed the title, so it's not too much of a spoiler. Um, but in the upcoming special, Recursion of the Daleks, Kate went through that whole thing not realizing that there is a gooey center to the Daleks. She thought they were robots the whole time. Um which is so cool. Like, it's so cool to get an, a companion who actually has those total newbie questions for the doctor and her now, like, very well travels companion, Travis, who over the course of his adventures has become strangely digitalized and cyborgish and not really a cyborg. He's got a digital mind. It's hard to explain. We do it over the course of several serials in season two because we sort of have to keep analogizing it. Um, I guess it helps if you've read, read Philip K. Dick's Valis, which is no help at all. Yeah, I, I was. I, it's it's a it's a fantastic book, and I love it. But yeah, well, that that would be several podcasts just to unpack that. So um. yeah, and we do a serial where basically Valis shows up and messes with Charles Darwin. So we're we're all over the place. The Game of Rassilon podcast is run under the Cubicle Seven Vortex system. Yes, indeed. Uh, we have all of the source books and all the the, the material from the, the system proper. Initially, we ran the game in person, so you know Ben even has the the classic GM screen. Although uh, a fan actually gifted them with a uh, a new one that doesn't have David Tennant and you know a bunch of old stuff on it, which is nice. <laughs> um, 
Okay, because those are rarer than gold dust. I interviewed David Chapman about that, and they keep promising that they're going to re-release the GM Shield, and they never do. And it's the one piece of Doctor Who kit that I don't have. And the original GM Shield, he looks every so often on eBay, and it's going for like two, three hundred quid now. So I don't even I don't know what that is in dollars, but probably about yeah, two or three hundred actually at the moment. But um, yeah, that's that's uh, that's worth its weight yeah, in gold. Top oh, they're sitting on mint. I mean. Ben's not going to part with it. <laughs> they're 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 a completist. You should see the uh, the shelf of uh, Doctor Who DVDs and Blu-rays. It's Rassilon. Yeah, the shelf of Rassilon is truly a sight to behold. Um, Although we focus heavily on the Cubicle Seven system, we do occasionally sort of dip into the past, the FASA, Time Lord, etc. System. I mean, I have no experience with them. I I don't think Ben has ever played a game in the previous systems, but they were gifted Time Lord recently. So we have been joking back and forth about... Uh, we'd like to launch a Patreon for the show, uh, but current events have just kept making us question the, the, the wiseness of it. But as sort of a Patreon exclusive, we'd love to do an old... Or figure out some way within the show to do like a quote-unquote old system game in Time Lord because I think it could be really fun. I mean, the, the Time Lord system is kind of Doctor Who's fourth edition in many ways. It's a very strange system. That's part of the joy of of I think when you're aware of the weirdness of those systems, playing those things can be really fun. There's another podcast mm. I listened to that I mentioned earlier, Dungeons and Daddies, which is a it's a show about a bunch of dads. Uh, who get sucked into the the world of Dungeons and Dragons um, and have to sort of save their kids and find their way out. And uh, they recently did a story arc where the characters had to descend into a sort of dream space to retrieve some information, and the dream Mm -hmm. space was first edition Dungeons and Dragons, which was a really funny batch of episodes because they talked about sort of really, you know, intelligently and, and clearly they talked about sort of the differences between those systems and made really funny jokes about it. Like the, the GM for the episode is like the referee for that episode. And you know, the, the guy who, I think he was a barbarian, but you can, they reclass when they went in. So he became a fighting man because it's not fighter back then. Like they, they, it's, it's really fun to, so that was sort of the, 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 innate sort of inherent joy of potentially going back to that old system and playing with it as being like this was this is not quite there for all of our our esoteric complaints about the cubicle seven system um what we you know weird things in math that occasionally bug us there is a less a less capable less easy to run system like we we can see now like ah we have it so good (laughs) It, it it I, I like that sort of thing. You know, ideally, I'd love to go back and do something in the FASA system as well. Uh, or is FASA Time Lord? Are they two different things? Yes, FASA and the, the FASA system is the first one. Then during the sort of interregnum period where there was, where there was uh, during the sort of what I call the interregnum period where there was no Doctor Who on TV, I think it was Virgin Publishing released Time Lord, this utterly baffling system, like a one book, sort of roughly your standard US comic book size. And uh, yeah. Uh, it was very, very strange, but nothing in the original release for creating your own. Nothing characters. at all. Yeah, nothing at all. Ben mentioned that, like, not a lick. You had to play as pre-existing, but they had everybody because it was, you know, eighty-nine. So, the- yep, yeah, and uh, no experience point system. All kinds of wow. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, but but that brings me on to actually my next question. What are the main differences between like a regular game? 
a, a regular Doctor Who role-playing game and one you're recording for a podcast. Uh, in case anyone else wants to do an actual play podcast or uh, and just because out of curiosity, because logistically they've got to be one or two fairly sizable differences, I would have thought. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's... I mean, yeah, we had to go in, I think, knowing more about our story arc and our sort of big plan. There wasn't initially... The funny thing is, I, I say that, but I think, you know, any GM running a game would call me on that because you have to come up with your own sort of big world and figure out what sort of larger story you're telling with your characters over the course of multiple games. But for us, I think we were really conscious of, uh, first of all, you know, we'd, we want to do it specifically. We want to run like one game in person, split that up into serials so it's more manageable to do. Um I guess I'm really just talking about similarities right now that I'm I'm speaking out loud. <laughs> well, 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 a standard, hmm. I say standard, but a regular episode of Game of Rassilon, the podcast, is just over an hour long, give or take. Yeah, roughly an hour. Okay, now obviously most role-playing sessions are a fair chunk longer than that. So is it just edited down to within a fraction of its life, or is it uh, more that you role-play for however many hours and then you just find points where it's like okay this is as close to an hour as we can get it so chunk this is one episode we are more conscious of time that's definitely a big difference we have our eyes on the clock so usually about an hour 30 like when we hit the hour 30 mark we know we've definitely got enough material unless something's gone catastrophically wrong uh you know equipment issues especially now that we're recording uh uh, remotely um any of that sort of thing or you know Dan's dog needs a walk. That happens too. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, it's usually about an hour thirty. The, 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 do, the, the, the dog of Rassilon. Yes. Uh, well, we have many cats of Rassilon, which is is partially my fault. Um, we don't yet have a dog of Rassilon. We're gonna have to address that in season three. It's Peter Cannon, isn't it? That Rassilon did have a cat in the novels. Yes, and and Wolsey, the Doctor's cat, as well, was a big yep. inspiration for. Um, adding a cat to our game. Also, my cat at the time, when we first met to do our first game session, the the, the mesh sesh, we call it, um, just to make sure that the cast worked and everything. It was before we had even defined Riley's Doctor. We played as pre-existing companions and uh, Riley played as 12. Because I think it was before Whitaker had been announced, you know? Um, So we played that initial session and we had a little recorder on the table and even a little recorder could... Uh, catch my cat at the time, William, um, he's since passed, uh, yelling from the other room. Uh, so we decided, oh, well, there's a cat in the game. Um, and William became the inspiration for Gunther. Is that not somewhat frustrating, though? Because, as I said, most role-playing sessions are way longer than an hour or even an hour and a half. So do you, when you know you've got enough material, do you just say, right, we've got to stop now? What's the procedure? Because I, presu- I assume it sounds like you're having great fun. So do you keep going do you sort of say stop that's one episode let's now let's start again how does it work what's great for us is because we're doing the multi-part serial thing ben gets to do a cliffhanger i mean we can drive the characters into a situation and go like the scary thing happens and then we can actually run the credits music which is very cool we can structurally build i don't know how many other people playing the doctor Who system are building in sort of episodic cliffhangers but it's a great for us, it's necessary between those episodes, but it's also a great way for like 
intermissions. Like, you need to take a break. When we were playing live at Geeky Tees, like in person, it's a great way to build in, you know, a snack break, a water break, a, a bio break, uh, as people say. Um, the incredibly biologically embarrassed Americans. I mean, you've burped, passed wind, um, done all kinds of things during this podcast, so... I haven't passed a bit of wind in this podcast. How dare thee? Oh, I do apologise. I just naturally assumed, you know, given the American diet. Oh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm fit to burst over here. So basically, you watch the clock and... You're, you're, so it sounds like you're running it almost like a classic Who four-part serial where you have shorter chunks and multiple cliffhangers to effectively record, you know, the, the various episodes of the podcast. Yeah, it's um, our show. It's more often than not two parts because we want to do the whole serial in one sitting. Um, and we've so far been able to do that for the most part. Uh, perfection was a little trickier because that was a it's a unique episode so i think for us it is in terms of like a a a proper game session you can just take the idea and let it run for us we have to be more conscious of creating sort of more bite-sized ideas um more kind of entertainment friendly ideas too uh we've we've tried to stretch in a couple different directions this and last season and you know, go more esoteric or, or allegorical in some of the monsters. And, and we find that at the end of the day, you really need like something a bit more TV ish. You need like a proper moving plot, motivating thing that does stuff um, as opposed to sort of forces of nature. Um, you, you can explore, I think those sorts of things a little bit more easily in a, a longer form game session for us. We have to keep entertainment in front of mind. So it's, you know, running, jumping, doing things, um, and, and also consciously trying to be aware of ex- explaining those game mechanics as we record out loud in our conversations, being aware of our listener, um, which is, you know, I, I want the show to feel, I think we've all sort of unconsciously made the show, but I, I sort of want the show to feel like you're at the table. I think listening to a lot of conversational podcasts feels like you're like the silent partner in a conversation and for us we want to be like oh come join the game have fun here's how it works here's what we're doing um and then by the end of season two ideally i want people to take the sort of time lord exodus thing we throw in at the end uh, that i hinted at earlier um th- we we give the seeds of like go be time lords do stuff make like it it, it doesn't just have to be like the doctor and her friends um, so does that mean that by extension of that, that there are concepts or ideas or, or settings that you consciously avoid because you don't think they'd make for a good sort of podcast episode whereas they might make for a great role-playing game in terms of like you said making it entertaining and sort of front-facing for the quote-unquote public that you're you think well we shouldn't use these we shouldn't have this kind of a concept in it you know do you try and avoid too much angst for example or you know, create, uh, yeah, and yeah. So you you avoid overt bleakness, and I mean, what, are there any kind of Doctor Who creatures you might avoid using because you're making a podcast? You think it's it's funny for an entirely technological reason, for literally like the the doing it live reason. We avoided the Daleks until just recently. Our most re- our upcoming game is really our first actual stab at the Daleks because we wanted. If we were going to do it, Ben and I, 
excuse me, if we were going to do it, Ben and I were very dead set on like getting the ring modulator and like doing the thing and having live Dalek voices and just being real nerds about it to the point where, you know, Ben has tried to figure out different as live technological solves for, you know, the previous live show. They tried to figure something out that didn't, didn't really work. Valentine of the Daleks, I believe. Yes. Yeah. One one of my favorites. it, thank you. It's, it was a very fun live show um, with a lot of... That one was just chaos. The li- it's a perfect example of how the live shows are very different from the podcast because the live show is just there. It's fast. We're just trying to make people laugh. Like, that's... It's so much um, more about the, like, visceral experience of being there in the moment than... It was, it was very clearly, you know, meant to tickle everyone's funny bone, which is... You know, you you can do that in role playing, yeah. but it's obviously not the express goal, and that was very much entertainment with a capital E, and it was it was great. And uh, yeah, I just want to say well, well well done on that. But obviously, that was a goal in the context of the game as well as the podcast. There, yeah, yes, those. I mean, the live shows are a whole other animal. Um, but getting back to the you know the Daleks, it, yeah, it was it was strictly like we couldn't do the voices, so we, we avoided the Daleks for a very long time, and. Um, I think over the course of time, uh, you know, you and I have talked about this before. I have a very, I have a very like deep seated interest in depicting earth as it actually is in the doctor who universe in like a way that doctor who never shows it, which is like earth is not just for humans. It's like teeming with aliens. Like there's Zygons everywhere and Silurians everywhere and sea devils and like just all this stuff that's never brought up as red and, we, as much as I want to do that, it is confusing for everybody to do that. And it feels like we have to explain, you know, the 2012 Zygon Treaty. Like, I don't want to do all that stuff. Um, and it has led to issues in the game because, you know, when you throw a Zygon in, you think it's initially it's nice as a red herring, you you would think. But players spend too long on the red herring like that is a a an issue of like playing a game the red herring has to be sort of really really clearly very red or it's not yeah it, it becomes fun the zygon in that instance doesn't it where's the zygon where's yeah. the zygon and in in our second serial we ever recorded we had one of the the crew of a spaceship be revealed to be secretly a zygon um and he was just a guy he was living his life he was part of the crew he just didn't want to visibly be a zygon because he lived on earth his whole life um so, so it just became like okay, we're not, you're all like prejudiced against the Zygon because he's a Zygon and this isn't going any way like I wanted it to go and we just have to move on very fast to the actual problem, which is the Weeping Angels. Like, (laughs) can we get to a different actual monster in this episode that you really, really should be paying attention to? Um, So that, you know, we have bumped up against that a few times uh, just in terms of it's something I, I still have on my mind for season three. I'd, I'd really like to do something that's present set and really deals with the various species living on earth. I think there's, a, there's, I think there's a really interesting story to tell there. Um, and I, I can tell you I'm pitching very hard, but we'll see if it actually happens. The, the nice thing for us is that canonically there's no unit in the present day. And so what we've been doing is filling in sort of other organizations that are filling in that vacuum. Yeah, we're going to be addressing the whole unit not existing thing in an upcoming episode. We're going to 
cover unit writ large and uh, how sad it is they've done that but I, I, I get where you're coming from Earth basically is I think it's a huge opportunity yeah personally. absolutely I mean uh, Earth is in, a, in the whole universe it's kind of like the Casablanca of the universe there are so many mm-hmm. alien species here where they're awake asleep buried just milling around like you said um, mm-hmm. there's there's a wealth of opportunity there so I, I hope you well you're pitching to one other person so fingers crossed you'll be able to persuade them <laughs> Yes, I do hope. And I mean, going going back to Unit, it, I think it's actually, as a storyteller, it's a huge opportunity to have in our story that Unit, that, that sort of international cooperative operation for dealing with extraterrestrials is gone. And it gives a, an opportunity to tell sort of more, I don't know, kind of nationalistically bent versions. Like we, we've introduced the Russian Department 08, which in my head like predates unit was folded into unit and is now like back out because my the, the thing with something like department 08 is like while unit existed clearly america still had like project blue book and project grudge and project sign and like all the stuff where like jay allen hynek's looking for pie plates in the swamp you know like it's it, all that stuff was still there and unit was still there so clearly there were all these strictly national bodies that are dealing with this stuff and with unit gone to kind of regulate that top layer i mean you could you can do ice with aliens man it's like there's so much possibility there there's just so much um it's a whole new world i did make me laugh uh if you're keeping up with contemporary who when they uh had Stephen Fry guest star in that in the season opener and um, not to bring down the episode but just uh, I just felt all the wind go out of my sails when Stephen Fry said officially MI6 don't recognise the existence of aliens and I just remember hitting the roof thinking (laughs) how could you not recognise aliens they're literally knocking on your door you've had organisations dealing with them that are part of the British government well officially that's the gag there is unofficially I mean they knew who hit Big Ben on a, you know officially it was a false flag operation but also Daleks had been on the streets the planet had literally been moved <laughs> and um, of course uh, he's talking to an alien that's on file as being an alien so yeah but um, you're, you're right there's a there's a whole wealth of, uh, of opportunity that that vacuum is prime fodder for all yeah. kinds of stories um, set on contemporary earth um, you said about the live shows, um, as well as the live shows. What, what is your audio setup? Technically, technical question: What equipment are you using to record your podcasts, like at the live shows and your sort of regular shows? Now that you aren't doing it in person, although how did you do it? Record it in person? Yeah, for the live shows, we're really at the mercy of the venue sound system because I just I'll plug in a um, uh, uh, a Zoom recorder and get the the outgoing feed from their mics. Um, Though in the case of our our one Geeky Tees live show, I was able to do a custom setup with our mics, which was very nice. Um, So we have our own microphones and uh, stands, obviously, and I have a uh, mixing board um, that I... Initially, I had a four-channel mixer, which was tricky, um, with five people, and then I was able to expand out to a eight-channel mixer, which is, for the three or four times we were able to actually use it it's amazing uh terrific board uh can't remember the name of it off the top of my head um but i have what's called what i call the sound case of rassilon which is just a great big gray pelican case with a seal of rassilon decal on it um that i would drag from 
from my apartment uh, to the car, drive it out to Geeky Tees and set everything up. Um, and Geeky Tees is a shop in Los Angeles, I believe. Yes, yes, uh, yes, sorry. Uh, Geeky Tees is a uh, games and um, all kinds of cool geeky stuff. And of course, tea uh, shop in Burbank, California. Um, I believe they're they're reopened for you know, obviously people wearing masks. So if you're in Burbank, please get some tea. Um, help Donna out. Um, obviously, no live shows at the moment, uh, so that that gets in the way. Um, but for the first season and the up through serial four of the second season, we recorded in one of their big game rooms. Uh, which is awesome. They have these great sort of spaces for people to game together. Um, and, you know, once all this madness is complete and I've been fully vaccinated, uh, we will hopefully uh, resume a recording in, in one of those rooms as well. What was the elevator pitch for Game of Rassilon? You know, when you were first starting out, I know you said they were playing at live places before you were directly involved, but what was the elevator pitch? What was the premise that you were sold on or that you sell to people you know actual play doctor who rpg adventures featuring an original doctor and original stories um that's the elevator pitch is you know it's 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 a doctor who rpg podcast for people who have never heard of or played any of the things in that previous description ideally we are uh, a show that is perfectly friendly for people who like rpgs and have never heard of doctor who which how but you did it uh please join us um hopefully we are new user friendly enough for people who have no rpg experience um even with with dungeons and dragons or a more ubiquitous system um hopefully we explain sort of the idiosyncrasies of the game and and 2d6 systems generally uh to make it approachable in that direction and um I mean, hopefully as a podcast, we're all relatively friendly people. I, I even explain in the first few episodes sort of how the setup is working and why I, as the engineer, am talking. You know, I think I always thought it was really important to just, there's this old quote from, um, I think it was Joe Casada, who at the time was Marvel's editor-in-chief, who said, like, every comic book issue is some reader's first issue. And it, he didn't invent the quote. I don't know who he stole it from, but uh, it, like, it's an old adage of comics. Like you have to treat every piece of your media as if it is the first thing someone is interacting with. So keeping a new user friendly doctor who podcast, my God, what a thought you had quite a tight arc for the first two seasons. Mm -hmm. And for the third season, you're going more episodic. I believe you said, yes, we, uh, after two years of big, crazy, three years worth of planning arc stuff ben and i we had always talked about it was funny in that first conversation we talk about you know we had talked about like you know we figure out gallifrey we we really deal with rassilon and all that stuff and then in like a universe free of all of that sort of time war residue we can just tell fun spontaneous episodic adventures and like just do doctor who like we can go we can do we can go back to doing doctor who after after we, we get all the gallifrey stuff done it was sort of the big season three for us is like the 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 setsuma in the bottom of the stocking like it it, it you got all your presents you did all the stuff you you pulled everything off on season two and you can beat scurvy like it's it's all working out um it's, it's a setsuma but you like it uh you know but i quite enjoy 
the, the little orange. It's a staple of my family. Um, I'm going to miss it this year. What can I tell you? Uh, the the um, I yes, do love your uh, choice of metaphor and simile. I really do. I, I do what I can. Um, it's been a long year. What can I tell you? Uh, it's been a long 3,000 years, uh, which is also like the atemporal nature of existence is kind of a thing we talk about in the show uh, as being the Time Lord's fault. Um, anyway, I don't even know where I was going. Oh, season three. Yeah, we want season three to be so much more episodic, spontaneous. Um, the first two seasons really focus on the Doctor and the in- interest. Oh, the intricacies of time and Travis and developing his storyline really particularly in season three. And we haven't uh, Ben and I, I think are aware we haven't been fully taking advantage of Kate and Carrie as a, a totally new lens. In. And what we really want to do in season three is basically, basically do like a season one where the show is the doctor, Travis, Carrie, and it's the doctor and Travis showing Carrie this sort of amazing universe. Um, yeah, it's a, it's both a victory lap. It's um, it's, but it's also it's a uh, 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 what's the Rick and Morty line like? It's streamlined. It's like season one streamlined. Uh, classic adventures, uh, people will love it. So did the big arc for the first two seasons just get away from you? I mean, because you make it sound like although it was fun and it was great to listen to, you make it sound like it was a it became a little bit of a millstone around your neck and you had to get it done so you could almost you know get back to the fun stuff almost no i i I, it's a necessary step it was like it's not like it was an obstacle to doing it being able to it's funny we got to the other side of that season two finale record and i was like oh wow we did everything i wanted to do in terms of gallifrey and the sisters and redefining the doctor's place and sort of reopening all this stuff like it really um we achieved a lot of the goals. I'm so, I don't mean to make it sound like it was this huge trial. It really wasn't. Um, but now there's no... We don't have to end serials with like a mysterious figure in black who turns out to be Roman, like hinting that there is bigger plot. You know, we don't have to have... I, I think it, it was difficult for the players knowing there was stuff they're not supposed to know that it was difficult, I think, for Ben and I having quote-unquote, like, bigger secret knowledge that we couldn't reveal to the players. Uh, oh, it, is that a bit, you mean because you're friends with the other players? Because that's usually how it goes, the GM knows more than the players, so... No, I, I mean in terms of, like, the Doctor, part of the big plan is the Doctor doesn't remember what the plan is. And playing that can be extremely frustrating for someone playing the Doctor. Um, and And now that we are past all of that and we have, we've solved what that is and our doctor no longer has, like you even said that the sort of lodestone or albatross of, of the, the, the plan, the big plan that she was literally born into, um, without her knowledge of, um, it, it's the excitement of where we're going is outweighing my sense of accomplishment in where we've been, but it doesn't mean that where we've been is any less cool for me. I, I see what you mean. That that casts it in a new light now. Yeah, you, you'd put all the work in, and so you wanted to get to the point where you could go, ta-da, this is what it was. Yeah. This is the sort of jack-in-the-box that, that you've been sort of building towards. And now you've got that. Now you've moved past that. You've accomplished that. And now everyone's on more of a level playing field because you don't have to hide anything from any of the players in in that sense of the word 
Yeah, we all we all have like a level playing field in terms of where everyone is, where everyone stands. The Doctor gets to be herself. Travis is fully actualized. Carrie is is going to be centralized. Uh, we are really focused on centralizing that new experience. It's it's going to be it's going to be a different show. It just innately. It's so kind of a soft reboot almost. Yeah, it's it's a streamlined. Yeah, it's like it feels like a series ten to me. You know, you accomplish all the the like big weighty stuff. You think you're you think Doctor Who's never going to air again after Husbands of River Song. Like that's all the stuff that was going into Moffat writing that season and that uh, special. And then oh no, uh, surprise! You get to do another year. Ha ha! Um, like it it it's a gift. I don't know. It it just feels like it's a breath of fresh air. It's a whole new lease on life. And I don't have to worry about, I don't have to worry about coming up with time Lord names. It's very hard. Yeah, that's true. The polysyllabic nightmares, most of them. Yeah, you got to get um, an X in there. It's, it's a nightmare. <laughs> so, so that being said, obviously you're almost a co-GM. I mean, you're a co-writer and you're, you play key NPCs and what have you. So have you got any tips out there for GMs and, and for players who are, you know, constructing arcs and constructing episodes. Is there any anything you've learnt because you've had to be so meticulous in your construction when it comes to Game of Rassilon for all the reasons you've you've noted here today? You know, anything you could sort of pass on, you know, when, when constructing big storylines, small storylines, what have you? Don't, don't, don't uh, get your head full of pride and retcon something. We, <laughs> ooh, ooh, I made that mistake a couple of times. Uh, Roman's note in season one is oh god i still regret so much about that and um it, it really like spontaneous moments of me playing roman thinking i'm being clever ended up having reverberations i never intended on the show um down to like the end of roman's first proper appearance in handheld war i i just there's a certain aspect of that character that made me more cavalier about the story and it caused all kinds of problems. Um, so for me personally, I would say like don't don't let pride run the game. You can't you can't let like oh I can throw in one more clever thing. Like don't don't do that. Like focus on the story you're telling and like the experience of your players and not like your own edification. That's not what this is for. It's not about like general storytelling is like not about ego or pride. It's about like for me, it's about the collaborative process. Particularly, I find the whole auteur theory really gross and pointless and a total misreading of the process of filmmaking um, and the creation of art, sort of entirely. Uh, but I have fallen victim to that single creative thing. And the show has over and over again, and even coming up in the special, there's a moment where something we had been building up to for for the whole time we threw it out on the fly because Riley had a better idea you just you have to be open to like the entire player experience it can't be about you it can't be about you're not um i more than one D&D game i've played uh, totally independent of the game of Rassilon has felt like i'm playing the the DM's novel and if that's the experience you're a bad DM, you gotta hang it up. Like, it's not for you. Like, if you're trying to make your players play 
a set set of circumstances and get them to like play your fantasy novel you've had in your head, it's going to blow up. Like there's just there's just the, the protagonists aren't your dream protagonist. Like it's not it's not going to work out. And for us, it was like we had to embrace that Riley's the dream. She is the dream protagonist, and that she is operating fully independently as the Doctor in a show. <laughs> you just have to embrace chaos. It's the only way to win. So you're, you're writing a scenario. You're not writing a script. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, season one, I mean, first of all, we were like, oh, we could do four-parters. We'll do three-parters. It'll be amazing. And you get in the session, it's like, if we record more than two episodes, my brain has melted out my nose. Like, there's none of me left. Um, so it, it, we did two-part. We, we condensed down to two-parters. And um, what was your question? I got lost in that. <laughs> <laughs> Any tips for GMs and players was the basic question. Oh, God. And yeah, um, be breezy about it. Yeah. So, so <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds you were that you were precisely the opposite of breezy for the first two seasons with this arc that was. A oh, lot that's where I was going. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. I mean, the the first two seasons we wrote out the scenario so hard. We wrote out the ending scenes. We 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 had it all figured out. And um, it's, I mean, Devils of the Deep was like a real eye opener for us because that whole serial is a mousetrap. Like the map is a, a trap designed to spiral. The characters exactly where we wanted them, we wanted them for the, the, the next couple of serials. And it didn't work. Of course it didn't work. And it just was like frustrating because we needed them to go to these places. It doesn't work that way. So in season two, you know, we really took a lot of those lessons. And so season two, our documents are like part one. Here's everything. Here's all the stuff. Here's all the moving parts. Here's the characters and their deal. And then the part two section is really just like a bullet point list of here are the elements in play. Like if if, these are all the plates that should be spinning right now. And if they aren't, don't worry about these other things. Like take what you've got and wrap it up. Like if you haven't introduced another, if you haven't introduced like another creature that was supposed to show up, don't worry about them. It's not important. Everybody's already like in the serial as is. Um, it's become a lot better. I, I, in season two, we never really knew the ending of of any serial. I, I'm I'm literally racking my brain for like, did I know the end of any of the serials of this? No, honestly, we didn't even know Kate was gonna stay on the TARDIS. Like it, it the letting letting the Doctor and Travis ask her to come on, and Ben and I not knowing what's about to happen it's it was a more incredible feeling than anything we could have planned okay so 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 basically you set the scene but you don't write the scene you know you you take 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 your foot off the gas as you say in america just uh let the players (laughs) let the players play basically yeah i mean going with that that analogy you know you got to let it let the second part coast on its own momentum it will get you the rest of the way. They're they're just from what's in the players' heads, operating independently, and especially now that we're you know two years in and we know how everybody really does their thing, and also the the the, the innate new element of Kate introduces that sort of new element of chaos into the game even further. Like yes, and you got to improv. There's no way <laughs> you just you just got to run with that momentum and yes, and until you get to the finish because you're gonna have something amazing. I just that's the lesson I've really learned from from season two is we've we've got all the elements in play. 
Okay, and just to sort of round off the episode, just regarding just the nuts and bolts rules, you know, the dice rolling and everything. Uh, obviously, you sort of edit out a lot of the sort of the ums and the ahs and the pauses and what have you. Uh, but did you have any like house rules? Is there anything you've done to the rule system yourself that's sort of tweaked it? whether it be for the purposes of playing or whether it be for the purposes of the podcast general podcast rule is you know obviously we're a family friendly show so we don't do cursing we try to avoid innuendo but some slips through because it's doctor who and that just seems to be a thing um, it's gonna happen uh, and and we're adults playing a game um but we have mothers and actually we have a, a mother with a kid who listens to the show with her kid like so suspecting that kept kept sort of family friendliness on our minds having it confirmed has just we don't swear we, we don't do it um and as as you can attest from before we hit record i lived in new york for a while so i cursed like a sailor um and now i live in los angeles so i curse like a very creative sailor <laughs> um uh, so like I've got the bi-coastal cursing experience <laughs> prefer to think of it as you being genre appropriate level of swearing yeah, uh, yeah, I'm I'm definitely in a uh, more R-rated streaming. I'm 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 for streaming. I'm not a network uh, show. Uh, <laughs> whereas the, you know, we wanted. I think it would be a disservice to Doctor Who to have the Doctor using the F word all the time. Like it just doesn't make sense. I don't want to do it. The Doctor is not that person, and I don't want to necessarily surround her with people who are those people. Um, like it, it's just not my vibe and on the same token like i don't want to put things in the shows that will make people uncomfortable um there was in the very first serial uh in the the cost of progress exhibit the big exhibit is about like uh uh, conflict and 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 all that stuff is necessary for progress because it's a capitalist who's running this museum so of course it's insane um but there was a big montage that David, uh, David King, who I haven't mentioned so far, which is a massive error on my part, the incredible David King, our editor, um, he had assembled this really great, uh, really jarring soundscape of like the sounds of war and explosions and gunshots. And it, it came in really suddenly. And I said, like, if there's anybody who is like freaked out by guns or is a victim of gun violence or anything like that, I just don't want this in the show. I don't want to scare somebody in that way with that kind of jarring jump. So we ended up pulling it out. Um, and I, I don't regret that. I just, uh, being conscious of your audience is not a bad thing. Um, and caring about them is not a weakness or censorship. That's sort of how I feel on that vibe. And in a similar token, you know, the people who complain about that sort of thing are like, you know, you care about other people, so you're a bad person. Ah, oh. like I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again: the people you lose to that are not a loss. You're not losing anything there. Um, so it, yeah, I just, yeah, I don't know. So uh, I, doing an honest show. It's you no, know, you've got a uh, you've got a code of conduct. Very simple, makes yeah. sense. Uh, on the technical side of that, when you are editing in things mm. like soundscapes for your podcast and for your role playing game, I mean. Uh, I assume you try to pipe them in live where you can, but where when it is edited in, what how does it work with like? Do you have to tread any like fine lines of legalities? You know, if because obviously you said you wanted to use 
a Dalek voice ring modulator. Is there, is there any legal issues with that? You know, with the sound effects you use, are there any legal issues with those? You have to make sure they're all royalty free and things like that? Or We, for the, for the non-Doctor Who stuff, we go all um, royalty free or epidemic sound or, um, you know, all that sort of royalty free music. Uh, David's very conscious about that. Uh, and we've, Ben also has a subscription to a, a music and sound uh, sort of royalty-free service, um, so we have access to a lot of stuff in that way. But when it comes to, I mean, we're already making a Doctor Who show, so we weren't going to make a new TARDIS noise. Doesn't make any sense, you know. And the TARDIS interior sound is basically we took one of those old BBC workshop sound discs, so it's specifically the BBC sounds, and not only that, specifically BBC sounds that they have licensed to other programs um, and other, you know broadcasters so we the preciousness of that is is i think i would argue within fair use um and within sort of the fan space we exist in. i mean the show doesn't make a profit so they're not coming after us if they if they want to take on my debt good for them please the beeb have at me anti-beeb i've got student loans that'll make you blush um Welcome to America, baby. I was going to say, I think the BBC have got debts that they uh, would make you blush as well at the moment. So everybody's bailing on their license fee. It's it's going to be pretty wild over there. Well, the the current series of Doctor Who, no one's watching it. So you know the cash cow has been milked dry. Well, if they put it out, like if they put it out more often than a Venture Brothers season, they'd they'd probably be in better condition. <laughs> From your lips to Chris mm. Chibnall's ears, which clearly don't work. Um, Michael, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on board the TARDIS. Before we go, is there anything you would like to plug? Oh, please, please, please uh, uh, find uh, the show at Rassilon Pod on the socials media um, and uh, give us a, a listen. Uh, if you're if you're like a total newcomer, our upcoming episode, our upcoming Doctor Who special may be slightly confusing because it has two Doctors and solves a big whole weird puzzle and there's Daleks in it. But, you know, head back to the start of season two or the start of season one and I think it'll be a, a relatively friendly experience for you. Um, we've got two years of, I honestly think, really great Doctor Who stories. Um, and again, it's like not ego. I'm always surprised how they turn out. Uh, it's always better than we plan, you know? Um, and then for, for me, I'm at Michael Nixon on the various things um, or at Michael no I'm usually Michael Nixon yeah I have Michael A. Nixon in some places but who cares okay so if that's the BBC bailiffs want to take note of those contact details yes my banking account number yes wait hold on <laughs> <laughs> that's the social security number of Rassilon um, <laughs> what is it Ten zero by eleven zero galactic standard or whatever <laughs> yeah I was going to say it happens to be the exact coordinates of Gallifrey but <laughs> So thank you, uh, thank you very much, Michael, and uh, we will um, definitely see each other very soon. Yes, I'm excited to talk some other characters and stuff. We're gonna have some fun. Yeah, excellent. Okay, and Goodbye, everyone. Peace. 
Thank you for listening to Wibbly Wobbly Dicey YC. Please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Feel free to get in touch with any questions or suggestions for future episodes, either on Facebook, by email, wwdwrpg at gmail.com, or by Twitter, at wwdwrpg. 